what we do is about knowing Jesus and making him known. And although it might seem a little bit odd, I'm not talking about knowing the devil and making him known in this, but this is important, that we understand what's coming against us and how to stand. And we've heard some of it this morning. So first things first, I am assuming that everybody here believes that the devil exists, okay? Because otherwise this won't mean anything to you. Okay, so I'm going to go on that assumption, okay? Um, so on that basis that he does exist, um, who is he and what is he like? So I'm just going to remind you oh. from Scripture. He was probably an angel, um, but he was expelled from heaven, probably for pride, but yeah. He was there from the beginning and is the architect of sin, He's a murderer and a liar, and he always has been. He has authority over the world. He leads it astray, and it's in his grip. The world is in his grip. He has a legal right for the world to be in his grip. And Paul says in, um, in 2 Corinthians that we don't want Satan to outwit us. Like we want to be aware of his schemes. Okay, So this is kind of what this is about. We want to find out what, what are his schemes, like what's his mission and how does he carry it out? Because when it comes to outwitting or resisting the devil, half the battle is knowing what he's trying to do and how he's trying to do it. So in terms of his mission, I think these things summarise it quite well and you, you may well think of some more. Oh, can you do the next one, Dave? No, all right, I'll read them out, don't worry. Um, his mission, to lead the world away from God's truth and his life. I have got scriptures for all these, okay, so you can ask me. To prevent people hearing the life-giving words of Jesus. To replace the in, our inbuilt human need for closeness to God with counterfeit pleasures. That's quite an important one. To oppose Jesus' teaching, and he'll even put people in churches to do that. That's not just a world thing. That can actually happen, can happen here. Hopefully, not me. <laughs> um, if people are already followers of Christ, then he, his mission is to use our flesh and, and our worldview to choke my spiritual growth and your spiritual growth. I don't know what's going on up there. <laughs> so he can do that directly. Like he can, you know, put things in our mind, thoughts in our mind. But quite often he uses other people to do his work because other people's words, opinions and behaviour can influence us towards or away from Jesus. And the devil wants you and me to focus on whatever or whoever diverts your attention and devotion away from Jesus. So when it comes to actual tactics, Satan has a few well-tried ways that he knows work, and it's helpful to know what they are so we know how to deal with them. So it's a bit like, I don't know, Gareth Southgate, when England's playing whoever, Albania, Ukraine, or whatever. Is that, is that coming up? Oh, okay, okay. Um, so what they do is they watch videos. They watch videos of the opposing team. They, they like, pull them to bits and examine how do they cope in, in heat? You know, what, what, what kind of stamina have they got? What, what are their strategies? What's the kind of defence strategy or whatever? Um, and then they teach 
the team how to deal with those things in this situation. If this happens, you do this. That's what we're doing. I haven't got videos. Okay, so um, here's some tactics, okay? I haven't got... You'll have to listen. He uses lies to deceive and distract us. He calls into question God's nature, his goodness, his calling, and his methods. He persuades us that his way is better. He finds anything good and he infects it with evil. He afflicts us with physical sickness, sometimes for years. You know, there was a woman who was bound, and I think Jesus says, this woman whom Satan has bound for however many years. He tempts, deceives, and traps people into sin. He masquerades as an angel of light and works closely with false teachers. He challenges your identity in Christ and mine. He shoots flaming arrows at Christians and makes war against them. And he uses the well-meaning words of a close friend to divert us away from God's will, even Peter. (laughs) As I said earlier, knowing what his tactics are is half the battle, and much of the devil's strategy is directly aimed at our thinking. What goes on in here? And uh, I don't know how many of you know um, this guy, Steve Biko, who was a a black um, African activist back in the apartheid days, sort of 70s. And he said this, and it stayed with me, it's so good. The greatest tool in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. And what he means is if you can influence someone's thinking, then you have influence over what they say and how they behave. And, And that was really how a lot of the black South Africans understood that how apartheid had controlled them and kept them sort of suppressed. Anyway, it was powerful. <laughs> so let's consider some specifics. What I want, mainly want to talk about is lies. And that's partly because that's how Jesus described Satan to his disciples. And partly because he almost always forms part of his strategy to gain power over our minds. Um, so this is what Jesus said to his disciples about the devil. From the beginning, the devil was a murderer. He has never obeyed the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. That's pretty damning, isn't it? (laughs) The devil's favorite way to influence influence, I can't say that word, influence us, a bit like your ethnicity, um, is to introduce lies into our thinking. He does not obey the truth. No truth is in him. His language is lies. Just like our language is English, most of us. He speaks, thinks, dreams and sings in lies. That is the devil. He's always looking for room in our thinking where a lie could land, stay put and fester. Don't be too depressed, will you? (laughs) It's really good news, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. If there's a space in your mind, and usually that's caused by a need or a lack in some area in your life, then he will exploit it. If, if there's no space, he'll try and create one. He'll distract your attention away from God, away from his presence, or away from his word. He'll suggest shortcuts to happiness or fulfillment. And although there is no truth in him and he hates the truth... 
he will actually even use a bit of truth to get a hook into you. And then he'll distort that truth so it works against you. It's not nice. <laughs> he's very clever. He knows human beings pretty well. After all, he's observed us for thousands of years. And he is playing the long game. He's quite happy to keep chipping away at our thinking until I break. His mission is to do whatever it takes to prevent the kingdom of God from growing and succeeding in you, in the church, and in the world. And he's utterly relentless. Because he knows that once you give attention to a lie, there's every chance that you're going to accept it. He's always trying to subtly introduce lies into our thinking. He uses our natural human desires, our worldview, our enemies, and even our friends and most people have no idea, actually, that they're being used to insert lies into you. And if you accept a lie, he'll give you ways to feed it, and it will grow. And because he's the father of lies, in a way, you're looking after one of his children. And so he's got a little bit of a foothold in your mind, and he can influence you. What he wants you to do is adopt that lie, or that child, keep it nourished so it grows, and then it will have other children. So, do you get what I'm saying here? Lies give birth to lies. Now, it's really important to say here that lies don't have to work on us. They don't have to. And it's funny, this morning, I was, when I was like getting ready to go, I, um, I was in a bit of a fluster, and I'd, I'd, basically, I rewrote this talk yesterday, and then I ran out of time, and I stayed up. Anyway... And I was just getting all my stuff in, and I'm this, this is what came into my head. Oh, I don't know why Rich bothers to ask you to talk. You're really useless, aren't you? And I just, and I laughed because I thought, I can't believe I've just spent hours doing this. And I'm, but I didn't entertain it. I didn't, and it, like what you were saying, um, Lynn, it's the same thing. You know, fear tries to come and knock. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I'll talk about that a bit later. So lies don't have to work on us. If you're confident in who Jesus is, if you're sure of your salvation, if you're safe in your identity as God's son or daughter, familiar with the Bible, submitted to God's will, all of those things, chances are there's no space for lies. Uh, and they won't even land, let alone stay. Not in those areas anyway. <laughs> and if you're having a bad day and they do land, you just do that with them. Okay, that's what I had to do this morning. For a lie to stay, there has to be a place for it. And the devil's quite happy to wait for an opportune time. He waits for a time and a place in your life when lies have the most chance of succeeding. When you're lonely, tired, being given a horrible diagnosis, you're physically weak or unwell, isolated, bereaved, Someone's upset you, you've had a failed relationship, you're bored, you've lost your purpose, you're so busy that you don't have time for solitude, anything, you know, add your own things. That's when he strikes. Or in short, he kicks you when you're down. Or another thing that can happen is that he, Satan sees followers of Jesus who, who aren't quite sure, of the, you know, they don't know the nature of God that well. They're not familiar with God's goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, his faithfulness. They don't really know his word. Or they might be isolated from, from the fellowship of people. 
Well, they might have been hurt or offended by church leaders or people in the church, etc. And he chucks them a lie about God's inconsistency or about unanswered prayer or people are selfish or they behave badly. They don't care about me. Church leaders have failed me. Church is a waste of time. You know what I mean, don't you? <laughs> it's the things we say to ourselves in our own minds, when we're on our own. Because what we say to ourselves in here is really what we think. And those, those are the times when Satan can just get a little grip on you. So, we looked at the devil, what he's like, what his mission is, and one of the ways he goes about it. And there are two stories in the Bible where Satan tries to trip someone up and, and they're good learning vehicles for us, okay? And we can't go into them in depth because there, there isn't really time. One's at the beginning of the Old Testament, and that's when Eve gets into conversation with a snake in a garden, and it ends disastrously. And the other is at the beginning of the New Testament, when Jesus gets into conversation with Satan in a desert, and it ends victoriously. So... Let's look at both of these. Um, I will skip back and forth between them. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to keep your finger in it or you'll just have to listen. And I'm going to get Rachel to read it so you don't have to listen to me all the time. So if you can listen the first one, yeah, read the first and the second. Uh, hopefully, we'll be up here as well. Yeah. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay. Next story. That's from Matthew. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written... Do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Okay. So if we look at how um, Satan approached Eve in the first story, he found her on her own. He made her question the goodness of God. Why would God withhold something from you if he's so kind? Is it because he doesn't want you to have what he has? And that fruit is so nice, isn't it? It looks good, it tastes good, it will do you good. What kind of a God would keep that pleasure from you? You won't die when you eat it. God is a liar. Okay, that's my paraphrase of what went on there. And can you see that by getting Eve to focus on the thing, the one thing she didn't have, instead of all the things that she did have, that the lie he told her found somewhere to land. And that's, that's a technique. That is a technique. You focus on the one thing you don't have. You, you don't see all the stuff you do have. Now, I don't know how long Eve pondered over the idea of eating the fruit. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It may have been hours, days, weeks or months. I, I don't know. We can't tell. But however long it took her to consider Satan's words, that was enough to propel her into making a reckless and devastating move. Enough said. Um, and I was wondering, and I was writing this, what, what could Eve have done to outwit or resist Satan? Again, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us that, or not in that place. Um, but our surefire way of deflecting the devil's attempts to derail us is the living and active word of God. And for us, that's first of all the Bible. Now, Eve didn't have a Bible, but she did have fellowship with God. He walked and talked with them both. She must have known to some extent what he was like and that he wanted to spend time with them. She didn't have a Bible, but she did have God's provision completely around her. She lived in a garden, a beautiful garden. She could have looked at all the goodness around her and that may have given her some perspective. And she did know God's living now word because he'd said to them quite clearly... Don't eat that fruit because you will die. And, and perhaps if you could express in words the, the care that God had for Adam and Eve and, and which they'd experienced right up until that point, it might have gone something a bit like this. Right now, in your innocence, you are safe, free from harm, shame and fear. You can walk and talk with me. You can live in the garden for the rest of your days with plenty of food and I will provide everything you need if you trust me. So Eve could have rested safely in that knowledge. She could have turned on her heel and taken herself out of the way of temptation, but she didn't. She allowed herself to be persuaded that Satan's way was better 
And I think, as we said, that's another one of his tactics. So next, let's look at how Satan approached Jesus. Well, I suspect that he knew Jesus well enough to guess that an outright lie wouldn't work. So knowing that Jesus was physically weak from hunger and he'd been on his own for nearly six weeks, he instead used Jesus' identity to tempt him to behave in a way which was arrogant and self-glorifying. And that's another way he can infiltrate our thinking. He either questions our identity, especially if we don't know or don't remember what our authority and our permissions are as Christians, or he can taunt you with it. If you're the son of God, prove it. Show me and the world that you can turn rocks into bread rolls. What a testimony that would be. Show me and the world that because you have a God-ordained mission, you can be reckless even with your own life, and his angels will save you. What a testimony that would be. And did you notice that actually... Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. So he, you know, he added some strength to it. You know, this is, this is your God. He said this, you know, he's clever. Now, there are lots, probably lots of reasons that I haven't discovered yet. I have that joy to come about why Satan didn't succeed with Jesus. But here's one of them, I reckon. Actually, I've just thought of another one. So I'm going to tell you the other one first. Um, I, I think that, you know, when I said that Satan comes to you when you're weak and you're hungry and you're tired and depressed and all that. I don't think he realized the power of fasting and the solitude that he'd had in the desert. That wasn't loneliness. That wasn't just doing nothing. That was focused time spent with his father. And the, and the fasting, yes, he was hungry, but it, but it wasn't like a, what would you call it, a desperate need. He didn't have that. So that's one reason. And I, I think maybe Satan didn't get that. Um, but here's the, here's the other one. Um, that even though Jesus knew he had the ability to do all of those things, well, certainly turning the stones, you know, into, into bread, and, and maybe he, he might have even thought, well, I think God would be okay with that if I did that. I, I don't know. Um, but these are the reasons, and I thought they were so good that I thought it was worth writing them down <laughs> for you to look at. His primary aim was always to look to his heavenly father for his needs and for his very life. He was submitted first and foremost to his father's word. He used the word of God to talk back to Satan. And he trusted his father beyond anything and anyone else. And those three things, I believe, meant that he aligned every decision he ever made to those things. They, they were like his kind of measuring sticks, you know? Am I looking to God for my needs? Am I submitted to his words? Do I trust God beyond anything and anyone? And that is, gives us a very massive clue about how we can resist the devil. The next thing Satan tried to do was to get Jesus to shortcut the way to being king of the world. I guess he knew what his mission was. I don't really know how much he knew. But he wanted to get Jesus to shortcut it by doing it his way. Satan's way, that is, not God's way. So it was a bit like, you know, cut out the middleman. I'll take you straight to the top. Fulfill your destiny my way. Does it matter how you get there so long as you get there? 
And again, Jesus gave an answer directly from the word of God. It is written, worship the Lord and serve him only. So how else does Satan try to sow lies into our minds? Now, even though he loves lies as if they were his own children, he will often start with a factual truth that you can't deny. And then in, in that truth, he'll look for spaces to insert lies so that because you have to accept the factual truth, you also have to swallow the lies. So you might not quite get what I'm saying, so I'm going to give you a real-life example, okay? So I have brown skin. Absolutely true fact. No one can deny that. I did try to deny that when I was younger, but I, you can't deny it. But then he attached things to that fact, which made it a curse to me. It went a little bit like this. I have brown skin. True. Have you noticed that people always prefer your white-skinned friends? True. And remember what that guy said to you in the street the other day? True. That made you feel really dirty, didn't it? That never happens to your friends because they have white skin. That would never have happened to you if you were white. That makes me substandard. I'm inferior to my white-skinned friends because I have brown skin. Brown skin makes me substandard. I hope you're spotting the lies here. <laughs> okay. I, this is, and this is what I ended up with. Similar. I must do whatever I can to distract people away from the fact that I have brown skin. Then they will like me and accept me, and we can all pretend that I'm just like them. It's taken me so many years to realise that I won't, that's what I was doing. Probably, when was the Black Lives Matter campaign? Probably coming up three years, isn't it? I think during the first, just after the first lockdown. And I read an article in a magazine, just randomly, about, and I think he was, um, I don't know if he was black African or, I don't know, anyway. And, and I, he talked about being a child in school, sitting around, as they do in primary school, around one of these low tables with the colouring pencils, and they all had a picture to colour in. And he said um, he, he, his pencil had broken, and so... Oh, no, sorry, sorry. A little girl on the table, her pencil had broken, and she said, oh, I need a skin colour pencil. And so he handed her a brown pencil, and she looked at it, and she said, I don't want that. And, he, you know, that's what... I mean, he was young, and he realised then, there's something wrong with me. You know, there's something not right. He said it much more eloquently than that. And as I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness. That is what I've, I've made myself as English, as English as possible, so that you'll all like me, not you, you know, but, you know, so that you'll all like me, because if I can convince you by the way I talk, dress, the food I eat, I don't know, the jokes I tell, or I don't know, whatever, that, that I'm as like you as possible, you won't have a reason. So, yes, yeah, quite, it was quite horrible to work that out. So, you see that, okay? So that's a real-life example. He used a factual truth that I couldn't deny. But he managed to insert that. And, and part of the reason for that, that the fact there was a landing space, if you like, 
um, is because I already had a desperate need to be loved and affirmed and accepted. And there are lots of reasons for that, which I don't need to go into now. But it, it's quite possible that some of that stuff wouldn't stuck, wouldn't, would not have stuck to me if I hadn't already had this big space. Um, and I think my children aren't here, but I think that they would say um, that those things didn't really affect them growing up because they didn't really have a space, but you'd have to ask them. Um, so, yeah, he, he exploited that space using my experiences and my observation. Um, he attached lies to the truth, and they stuck for many years. And sometimes, I've put this in really small letters, so don't tell anyone. Sometimes on bad days, it still affects me. Okay, but, not, but I'm, I can do that. Okay. So here's a couple more scenarios which you might recognise. So, here's a random person that we don't know, Okay. God has really blessed whoever with their house or job or finances or friends or health or marriage. True. He must love them very much. True. I don't have that thing or I'm struggling with it. Therefore, God doesn't love me. Spot the lie. <laughs> okay, here's another one. I stopped going to church because I don't really get anything out of it. And I just don't feel close to God when I'm there. True. Maybe. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff out there on the internet or on YouTube which I could listen to. True. I'm much better off on my own because what's the point of church if it doesn't do anything for me? Okay, I've got a few more, but I'm not going to say them all. So you get the picture. Okay, you get the picture, but what's the answer? How can we resist the devil when he attacks us using actual facts? Because that's, that's hard. Because once we know his strategy and, he ta and, he, and we know his tactics, that's half the battle. We can be ready for his attacks, but half the battle is not enough. Okay? I don't want to understand Satan's schemes but not be able to do anything about them. That's worse than being ignorant. We need all of the battle. All of the battle. So here's a way... I believe, of resisting those lies which are based on truth. Listen up. Know that there is always a greater truth which identifies the lies and dissolves the temptation. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Know that there is always a greater truth which identifies the lies and then it dissolves the temptation. If I'd known Jesus when I was growing up, and if I'd had the help of godly people like you around me, children's workers, you know, whatever, what could I have said to myself? Maybe something like this. It's true that I have brown skin and that people treat me differently because of it, and sometimes that's hurtful and offensive. But there are some deeper truths here which I can put into that space the space that comes from needing to be affirmed and loved and liked. And that gives the lie no room. For example, God does not show favoritism. It says that in Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. Another one. If I am faithful to Jesus, I am welcomed into his kingdom. doesn't matter who I am. It's in 1 Peter. And this one's my favorite one. God chose me in love to be his child I have as much right to all the goodness of God as any other person who chooses to follow Jesus. Okay, that's a paraphrase of Ephesians 1. 
And actually thinking about it, the same thing occurs during the temptation of Jesus. You are the son of God. True. And you've been fasting, so, so you must be hungry, and you could easily turn the stones into bread rolls. True. But the greater truth is that I depend only on God my Father for sustenance. In fact, later on in his life, Jesus even says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of my Father. That was his food. I don't need bread rolls. Are we getting it? <laughs> Are we getting it? That's why we need to know God's words and Jesus' teachings. There are many, many truths in there to whack Satan into touch. We had one this morning. We can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and... Come on, Mike. <laughs> Word of our testimony. I always think of Mike. That's why we need to know who God is, what he's like, how trustworthy, faithful, and generous he is. That will give us an unshakable and joyful foundation to stand on in stormy times. Okay, that's really important. And that's why we need to listen to what's going on in our head and ask ourselves, does this line up with the word of God, with the teaching of Jesus, with the character of God? That will help us discern the deeper truths which are powerful and can demolish Satan's strongholds. And I'm just going to throw this one in here, but I'm not going to talk about it. That is also why we need to put on the armor of God so we can stand firm and resist the flaming arrows of the evil one. But that's a talk for another day. So we've got five minutes or so. Um, so I'd like us to have some time to reflect uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Because this, you know, we can hear all these things and agree with them all, but in the end, if it doesn't make any difference to us, actually, what's the point? Like we don't, we don't want to just keep on, you know, having the lies going here. And, and the thing is about Satan's lies, they're not direct and obvious. They're like going on down here somewhere. Um, sometimes he makes a mistake. <laughs> he did that. that happened to me. Not well, actually, it was ten years ago. He made a mistake, and a direct thought came into my mind. And I thought, "Wow, I'm not having that." He made a mistake. He doesn't really often do that. It's normally very subtle, subliminal, I think the scientific word is. So I'd like us to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where there might be room in our thinking for any of these things. And I've just picked out a few, okay, but please don't restrict yourself to them. Um, so if you feel caught up in any of these things, lies whether they're based on the factual truth, like brown skin, or just plain lies. If you feel like you question God's nature or his character, or if you feel like he's often, or maybe right now, trying to persuade you that there's an easier way out of your situation than following Jesus' teaching. And, and specifically, I feel that there might be people here who are in need of knowing a greater truth to help you to break the kind of cycle, maybe, of these things. One, a relationship which is damaged or not going very well. Struggling with the same thing week after week, year after year. Or life is so full, or it's such a battle that you have no mental energy. Or simply that you're just bored in your Christian life. So let's pray.
Lord Jesus, in your kindness and grace towards us, will you show anyone here who wants to know where we've believed lies, where we've allowed the devil to take up residence in our thinking. Please reveal to us those places where we're sort of bound up in lies or, or where we're flirting with Satan's persuasive talk. And please reveal to us the greater, deeper truths which we need to escape from, from our destructive ways or our destructive thinking. Help us, Lord God. We'll just have a few minutes.